0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here for the UFC 282 Preview Show. My name is Carl Beamage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. Here's the Kirsty McCall to my Shane McGowan, it's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Glad to be here. Glad to be the Bobby Hill to your Joseph Gribble, or maybe the flip of that uh, for the King of Hill fans out there. Yep.
0: And also as well, welcome to, I guess we can call this somewhat of a Christmas special, and... I have to say, Joe, you've made more of an effort than I have. Uh,
1: I wish I could fit. I I have a very large head, and I should have I should have checked the size on this Santa Claus hat because when I put it on in the car, it was like squeezing my head, and then with the headphones, it's just not happening. So uh, I think it's uh, I think I already have to retire it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've made a slight effort though, I've got myself my uh, Christmas mug there, my uh, pot of tea, as per usual. And I have to say as well, thank you very much for tuning in to the show. Um, here on INC Live, we want to say thank you to all the support you've given us over the past 12 months. Joe, some of your contents, your post-fight reactions have been getting some of our best numbers of all time. So I want to say a big congratulations to yourself. And if you want to support the channel in any way you can do, all of our Twitter instagram uh patreon links are all up there at the top of your screen if you want to support joe in particular joe's got his own commitments outside of the channel uh, where is the best place to find him joe
1: right now i'm uh, I, i've been a little inconsistent lately because i've been having some like illnesses and sick been a little sick lately uh, i got hit with that flu it's going around and um but uh i'm on twitch tv slash loco joe 39 and uh, I, I stream, I do a bunch of other nerd stuff, but I'm also looking to kind of expand into MMA content. Maybe I'll rescore fights, you know?
0: Like rewatch some classic events. We've got um, plenty of anniversaries coming up in 2013.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think the first one I was thinking of doing was I thought about rewatching the, uh, the duology of Frankie Edgar and Vincent Henderson since he just retired. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll rescore those because I scored them for Frankie both the first time around. So I'm wondering how that holds up.
0: Definitely. It's definitely worth looking forward to. Um, and another thing that's worth looking forward to is the show that we are here to preview, UFC 282, our final event of 2022 when it comes to pay-per-views. I think they have uh, Sean Strickland versus of the week after, and that will be the last one of the mm-hmm. year. Of course, Ryzen will do their own New Year's Eve show, which we're always looking forward to. INC will be producing... We'll be trying to produce content as much as we can between now and the end of the year. We've got ourselves some fantastic videos, which hopefully we'll get some decent numbers. Joe, of course, has his own commitments. I have to say, though, Joe, when it comes to UFC 282, there's often been a tradition that the UFC, if they have any sort of loose cards that they can still play before the end of the year, they throw them all onto the December show. This time around, though... I don't know about you, 282 feels a little bit underwhelming compared to what we normally see in December.
1: Yeah, it, if, I know obviously, like, the big story is uh, the Yuri shoulder injury. Um, so, then Glover was like, oh, if I'm going to fight on Kalayev, that's a completely different matchup. I, I want a little bit of time. UFC said no, and they didn't want to give him on. so here, here we are. Um, and, like, obviously, like, we're missing that main event. But even with that main event, I, I feel like this card was missing that one thing, uh, that like one little thing. I mean, as much as I love seeing certain people on this card, their recent performance and tracks uh, doesn't get me as excited as I would have been a couple years ago.
0: Yeah, because I was looking through some of the uh, other recent December shows that we've had. Like obviously 269 was last year. We had the big Peña upset. Charles Oliveira legitimized himself as a top level UFC lightweight champion, and even in the years before that, you had uh, Max Holloway versus Jose Aldo, which is fantastic, uh, Holloway, Brian Ortega, some fantastic December shows, and I think, as you mentioned before, there's some good names on this card, I think the prelims especially, very overlooked, but it's missing that something, we've got good fighters and a good card, mm. but we need that X-Factor
1: yeah it's sadly um i just kind of think i maybe have it here it doesn't have that name value uh, which isn't the most important thing in the world name value does not equal to a card quality but um it is a little odd that you know anka lives in the main event of the last pay-per-view of the year and obviously it's because of circumstances but still it's it it needs it doesn't have any of that uh the the casual clickbait perhaps i guess would be a you know, kind of headlining this show that you'd expect.
0: There'll be plenty of casual clickbait, though. We'll talk about some of the things happening away from this event before we delve deeper into it, uh, including what could be happening potentially at UFC 285. Now, the rumor from the UFC's perspective, they are planning for the heavyweight title, Francis Ngannou versus Jon Jones. Curtis Blades will be the backup if either of those two to make it to the March show, does this fight happen?
1: No, it'll be in Ganu Curtis Blades. I think John Jones never fights again. That's my opinion, personally. So, Uh-oh.
0: if you're, but and I, it would I be cool if a, it happened, though. I am seeing a lot of people with that same sort of skepticism, especially when it comes to John Jones. He hasn't fought in three years. He's been teasing this idea of going up to heavyweight for the past ten years. So we've heard all of these wolf whistles from John Jones for many, many years, so I understand why people are cynical. Why do you think the UFC are releasing this information, though? What are they trying to entice by saying this fight is definitely going to happen in March?
1: I think they're trying to force his hand right now. Like, he's been very much like, oh, the offer wasn't spectacular for the Stipe fight, you know, kind of thing, which I don't know what that means. Um... I think they're trying to like. I think since he's trying to play a little harder and be a little difficult to work with to get a contract signed, I think they're now trying to force his hand here by going like, okay, fine, we'll give you the title shot, but if it doesn't happen, you know, we got a plan. We don't need you. Like, I think they're kind of showing that, like, may, I, some some sort of that way, like, in the sense of like, we're gonna we'll set it up. We'll we'll go through your little pony show. But if you pull out, you're not hurting us as much as you think you are because we have Curtis Blades waiting. I think that's kind of the message they're sending to him.
0: And I have to say as well, like, if I was John Jones, and again, I'm, I'm putting myself in his shoes here. But I don't know if this is the way he is actually thinking. But between the three people who've been rumored to be fighting John Jones for like a good few months, I'd probably say Stipe was the one that he was angling for the most because. Mm -hmm. Francis Ngannou, we all know about his godly power. John Jones is going to want any part of that. And Curtis Blades, I think, is going to give him a lot of problems when it comes to the wrestling. But Stipe Miocic, he has the perfect mix of name value because in the UFC's eyes, he is like one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Uh, Personally, I still think Fedor's the best heavyweight ever, but that's an argument for another time. So you have that mix of name value. But also as well, we've got Stipe, who's 42 years old. Well, forty, I should say, maybe a little bit past his prime. It's a winnable fight for John Jones compared to Curtis Blades and Francis Nganu. So, I think that was the fight that John was angling for.
1: I, I think so too. And it's funny because I think all three of those guys beat him right now. Um, I think Stipe would have done it, um, and I think I think Curtis Blades will can do it, and I think Ngannou is definitely going to do it. Um, but I mean, I think I mean, another thing, too, that I, I wonder about is I wonder about his commitment to fighting ever again at all. Really, um, I think you had the best theory where you said something along the lines of like this is he he doesn't have the legacy. He doesn't have the fan love because of he has the he has the most failed drug tests in UFC history. And yet we still call him great kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So if we if he loses, though, that's all gone. All he has is the fact that he Matt Hamill's face is the only thing that's ever beaten him. You know, if that happens, then what else his, it's all gone in his mind potentially. So he might never fight to ever risk that. I think Dominic Reyes might have scared him for, for life on that one.
0: So it definitely remains to be seen whether or not John Jones actually does make this commitment to fight in March. One person who we won't be seeing around the Octagon anytime soon, though. We're going to have to talk about this. It's the big story that's happening in the spot right now. James Krause and the betting scandal.
1: Fishy, fishy, fishy. I talked about it on the the recap. Um, Yeah, the last one. The last recap for the uh, Kutalaba uh, Zichukwu card. And where like they were investigating it, and I thought the Derek Miner thing was very, very fishy. And then now like the Megan Anderson not getting trained thing, uh, that is a very good point. Uh, I, it's it's looking bad for uh, for that team and him, you know.
0: Yeah. So for anybody who might be unfamiliar with the story, so James Kraus has been suspended by the UFC, and it stems from. Um, accusations surrounding a fight involving Derek Minner, where it was reported that Minner was injured going into the fight. The betting odds changed substantially, so he was a massive underdog going into it, and almost immediately injured himself with the first kick he threw. Obviously it ended with a first round stoppage, so a lot of people are believing that James Krause, who coaches Derek Minner, gave this information away to people that he knew to put money on his opponent to win the fight. So... Um, a lot of betting companies, especially in Canada, have now stopped taking bets on UFC events. James Krause has been suspended by the promotion. Derek Minner has been released. And the UFC have said that any fighter who is associated with James Krause's camp will not be booked until this situation has been cleared. So, we basically got ourselves a UFC version of
1: P. Rose. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Um it's definitely just a Pete Rose thing. Uh, you know, Chicago Black Sox as well. Um, you know, it's it's definitely really weird. Uh, I, the big one I worry about, like, I mean, this is a huge story, but uh, them not letting people fight or, you know, at all, if you're from his camp or train there, I wonder what's going to happen with the Davison Figueiredo versus Brandon Moreno fight, because Brandon Moreno changed gyms over there. And that title fight's coming up soon. What, what are we doing now? Like, it's very interesting.
0: And from Brandon's tweets as well, he seems to be very defensive of his coach. So there mm. could be a big possibility of Brandon
1: Moreno not fighting in January. Yeah, I don't think it's happening. I, th- I think they're, I think the UFC... I mean, obviously, in my opinion, you should be more focused about the integrity of the sport. First and foremost, rather than business and matchmaking. That's just my opinion. Um, so obviously getting this out now, taking this stand now is what's first and foremost important. In the next couple of days, we're probably going to see news of Brandon Moreno ain't fighting. They're, here's plan B uh, or whatever they can do.
0: I, I assume it'll be Pantoja.
1: That's that's the only thing I can think of. Which uh, it's in Brazil, so double Brazilian main card or uh, main event. I mean, you know, that makes sense to me. Yep. Uh, Pantoja Figueiredo sounds great too.
0: That's something that we can look forward to in January. Let's look at what we can look forward to in December. So we're going to start with the prelims. You can see those on our screen right now. And as I mentioned before, um, the main card has some solid names, but no sort of big, casual star power going with it. And I feel the same way about the prelims as well. I think we've got some pretty solid names on the prelims. Now, the one fighter who's garnering the most attention, he's going to be the second from last fight on the prelims, which is, um, I I don't know if this is Raul or Howell, but uh, Raul Rosas Jr. Now at 17 years old, he is going to be the youngest fighter in UFC history. He will break Dan Lawson's record, which he's held since I think 2006 taking on Jay Perrin, who's lost his first two fights in the UFC. And this is a big question, which has been circulating around a lot of people in regards to this guy. Is Horzath being signed too early?
1: Um, maybe, I think we're going to find out real quick. Um, I, I, I kind of look at it this way though, because I heard people getting very upset over his signing. Um, I, I've, I've heard it being described as this is uh, we're giving Raul uh, Orosa's like we're giving him a contract. Us giving him a contract doesn't mean we're not signing anyone else who could potentially be more worthy. If we don't sign him, that doesn't free up a contract for them. It's either he's getting signed or he's not kind of like defense of the UFC with it. Um, so it's it's interesting to consider I I think it's probably a little too early. So he he could be, uh, and I and I love this guy. It could be a Chase Hooper situation, where you know everyone's going to be really critical of him, even though he is still super young in the sport and everything. uh, And we're kind of watching him grow. Um, Or it could be like a Charles Oliveira thing, where Charles Oliveira came into the UFC, and I remember him saying he'd be the youngest champ ever, and that didn't happen until you know last year. So.
0: I think my big issue is that the UFC likes framing itself as sort of like the elites fighting the elites. It doesn't have the Mm -hmm. structure in place, in my opinion, to sort of mold fighters and make them into elite starting from a young age. I mean, there are some exceptions. You mentioned Charles Oliveira there, which I think is a good one. But Charles suffered a lot of setbacks before he finally reached that sort of elite level. But most of the time you get people like Paige Van Zandt, Sage Northcutt, Chase Hooper. And you sort of think to yourself, if these kids had spent more time on the regional scene to sort of build up their confidence, mold out, round out their skill set, and then enter around sort of 26, 27 years old, the perception of them and their development may have been a lot more clear cut.
1: For sure. I mean, uh, I think uh, one, the the biggest critique I've heard, and that's, that's a fantastic way of wording it. And uh, it kind of leads into this is um, these guys like Sage Northcutt, you know, Paige Van Zandt, they didn't have that kind of like, it, they had the confidence that they were going to win fights. But there's a difference between that and having the experience to understand, you know, to maintain that confidence when you have a struggle, you know, you don't want to uh, and I'm not trying to pick on her, but like Carla Esparza has been criticized for if this fight isn't going her way, her mental game is kind of, uh, kind of goes out the window and you, you kind of in Sage North could, I thought kind of suffer from that. And I thought Paige Van Zandt definitely did. Um, and that's something time on the regional scene and time kind of, you know, sharpening and, you know, sharpening those corners and everything those edges definitely could help out here. Um. But who knows? I mean, we have a guy who's five and one, six and one as middleweight champion of the world now. So, who knows? Uh, it's a uh, winnable fight, though, for Horsas. I think so. Yeah, I think um, I think not only does he win, I think he could be very impressive in it, and it could kind of clear some doubts people have, despite the fact that we still wouldn't know. We're still not going to know until he sees trouble.
0: Uh, let's talk about some of the other fights happening on the prelims. Now, this one's going really under the radar. Edmund Shabazian back in action. So, he's on a three-fight losing streak. Um, admittedly, fighting some of the very top opponents. So, it's Imarov, Manson, and Derek Brunson. So, no shame in losing to those three. He's relocated to a new training camp, which I think will be a relief to a lot of people. Because I know that Edmund Tarverdian isn't the most popular person in the MMA circles.
1: Um, this is a must win for him. Absolutely. This is a loser-leave town for both fighters. Uh, uh, I'm not going to I'm I'm afraid of butchering the last Dolce. name but just his call opponent, him Dalcha. Uh, perfect. Dalcha. So Dalcha, uh, he, uh he's on so on a three fight losing streak as well in the UFC. So this is a loser leave town situation. Um I did not know Shabazi and changed camps. So that makes me very very excited and very curious. Um because I I in my notes here I I had said uh, uh I think he could, you know, Whatever happens at the fight, a, a fight camp change is going to have to happen. I think personally.
0: Yeah, I think he's gone to a more wrestling centric gym. Mm.
1: Fantastic, then. Yeah. It's uh, uh, I think it's crazy to think that he went from like this dark horse killer in the division, just you know smoking everybody. I mean, I thought the Brad Tavares knockout was incredibly impressive. I, I think Brad Tavares is uh, historically very underrated. Uh, I think he's always a solid name on a resume uh, when you're coming up, you know. And uh, he had all this hype. And now he's, you know, fighting to keep his job. It's such a crazy sport, you know. Things can change like that.
0: Yep. Um, Other names which have taken my interest. Now, I'm surprised to see this one buried on Fight Pass.
1: Billy Q versus Alex Hernandez. That sounds like a belter. Yeah. Sounds great. It's also, it's a featherweight debut for Alex Hernandez. (laughs) at least in the UFC that I from what I was looking. But because uh, I remember seeing that going, oh, that's a typo. Uh, Quarantillo fights at featherweight. Hernandez is a lightweight. He's a, he's a big, wide lightweight. I always think of him as having these wide shoulders. And no, it's a featherweight. So I'm definitely really curious about that one as well because I, I want to see what the cut is like for Alex Hernandez.
0: What else takes your interest on the prelims?
1: Um, Chris Curtis uh, and Joaquin Buckley is uh, my uh, the one I, I saw and I got really excited for. Um, I like Chris Curtis. I don't know him personally. He seems like he's an odd duck pers- uh, personality-wise, but uh, I think he's really fun in the ring. I think he's really fun fighting. Um, his last fight he lost, he was very frustrated because he kind of just got outsmarted and out-game-planned uh, and deservingly so lost by Jack Hermanson. But um, I think here, jo- Joaquin Buckley and him, two action guys, two big finishers, uh, with a lot of power, and I still think they have upside, like a lot of upside, despite some of their struggles in the UFC. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited for this one. I think this could be a really good one.
0: I had a feeling you were
1: going to pick that one. Yeah, it just sounds uh, big fan of the the uh, the Southpaw boxing of Chris Curtis, so uh, I want to see that. Yep. It's
0: I've got that circled down as a potential fight of the night candidate. Personally, uh, it remains to be seen whether or not they deliver on it. Uh, As mentioned before, I think we've got some very underrated prelims there. Let's kick off the main card though. Mm. Now, for a lot of people, who are sort of real diehards of the sport, like watch like the Contender series and watch every single random Eastern European promotion going, those sort of people are telling me this is a must-watch. Bryce Mitchell taking on Ilya Topuria, so it's number nine taking on number fourteen in the featherweight division. Topuria a minus one fifty favor going into this. Bryce Mitchell you can get at plus 130. And the big story regarding this one, Bryce Mitchell 15-0, Ilya Topiria 12-0, So two unbeaten fighters coming up against one another. You'd seldom see that at this stage of each fighter's career. Oh
1: yeah. And I think the implications of who wins, you're not just taking someone's O away. You're, I think, the winner of this. I think they put themselves in a great spot because they're both in their 20s to potentially be a contender by the end of next year uh if not earlier i this is a very interesting car or interesting fight and i love that we're opening up with it on the main card because this is probably my favorite fight on the whole card
0: because you think as well with alex volkanovsky being so dominant at featherweight after you get past yair rodriguez josh emmett henshney arnold allen you're going to be starting to get to people like the Tupovias on the Mitchells of the world as potential title challenges.
1: Yeah, there's no, it's really hard to clean a division out. Realistically speaking, um, unless you're playing a video game, you're never going to cl- go clean a division out because that requires fighting four or five times a year and just title defenses. So these guys are, are on their way up. You know, Volkanovsky has been dominant. He's beaten a ton of people, but, uh, you know, these guys are on the way up and they're definitely looking at they're getting close to the point where they can start looking at that title shot and start taking, you know, being have to be taken super seriously for contention.
0: So let's start with Bryce Mitchell then 15 and no record. He did lose on uh the ultimate fighter. I think that was a loss to Brad Catorno, I believe. Mm. But of course, that wasn't a sanctioned yes. fight. So it doesn't count on his record. Uh, he claimed a big win over Edson Barboza at UFC 272, which is probably the only interesting thing about that pay-per-view. And apart from Barboza, there's wins yeah. over Andre Feely, Charles Hoser, Matt Sales as well. The Sales win being interesting because Bryce Mitchell won that one with a twister. So he's the only second man to ever win a UFC fight via twister. Nine wins by stoppage, all mm-hmm. by submission. I did find this description of Bryce Mitchell, which I think... I think sums him up absolutely perfectly farm strength.
1: Oh yeah. He's got that farm boy strength for sure. Uh, That's just that. That's that good old. I'm from the South as well. He's got that good old, you know, farm hand strength. You know, it's not, he's not good. He's not the guy in the gym pumping every weight in there, but uh, he's going to throw way more barrels of hay than anyone, you know, kind of guy.
0: And what would you say are the biggest strengths when it comes to Bryce Mitchell? Obviously, people frame his grappling as his big sort of modus operandi. What is it in particular about his grappling that makes it so revered?
1: Uh, he's got, a re- I think, I, I really like his like American jiu-jitsu kind of stylings. Um, and for people that aren't aware, like they typically kind of call these top game heavy jiu-jitsu Uh, specialist like a Jake Shields is considered uh, American jiu-jitsu and Bryce Mitchell is kind of exemplifies that to me he's he's wanting the guy he's going to shoot takedowns he's going to try and look for trips and clinches he wants to get this fight to the floor any way he can and use his dominant position to try and snatch stuff up Um, but off his back he's obviously pretty good because that's how he got the twister Um, he's a very dangerous grappler I'm not sure if he's quite on that level of a You know, the floor is lava, Damian Maya in his prime level, but uh, he's very scary, and that is where he's going to beat you. But his striking is improved. He did knock down Barbosa. I think there's some, I don't think it's as as simple as he knocked down Barbosa by outstriking him. I think there's a little bit more to it, but he did do it. He clearly has some oomph in his punches showing improvements.
0: I think it's one of those situations where we often hear people talk about this, where If you have a striker versus wrestler sort of battle, the striker becomes Mm -hmm. so paranoid about being taken down it leaves them open for big shots. So you think about Randleman versus Krokop or Khabib dropping Connor in their big fight. That's the sort of knockdown Mm -hmm. I see it as with Barbosa and Bryce Mitchell.
1: That's 100% what it was. It was also, if I remember remember correctly, um, I think it was in the third round, and that was after Bryce Mitchell had just been slamming, throwing, and just all over and wearing out Barbosa, um, who is a big 145er. Um, so you know the cardio, the cardio was definitely there. He was also tired, as well as like having his hands lower to try and just stop any takedown. Um, so it, it there's a lot of it. It definitely isn't as simple as oh he just he knocked him down, he outstripped him. No, nah, there's a you know like you're saying, tons of factors in to it there.
0: We'll shift this towards Ilya Tapurian. Now he's a 12 and 0. His last win was on that fantastic London card where he beat Jai Herbert, which was a rare venture to lightweight. Thankfully, I don't think that he's going to be experimenting with lightweight anymore because that was scary for him at times. Because Jai Herbert came very close to finishing him in that first round. Now, even though Bryce Mitchell does have, in my opinion, the biggest win between himself and Ilya because by beating Edson Barbosa. I would argue Tuporia has the better cumulative wins because outside of Jai Herbert, mm-hmm. Ryan Hall, Damon Jackson, and Yusuf Salal. So those are three very good fighters. Oh,
1: yeah. He's got the resume. You know, uh, you know it's uh, there's the one, like you said right there, the one big win for Bryce Mitchell, but the resume of Tuporia is uh, very impressive. And I do think he will go back to 155. I think he'll go to 155 to take on a certain guy in our uh, co-main event. But that's for, that's for another discussion for another time, potentially. Yes. You know, He's got to get revenge for that hand sanitizer.
0: What's intre- what I'm hearing a lot of people saying in regards to Ilya, though, is Ilya is the bookmaker's favorite. And I, from what I'm seeing, I think most people are picking him to win this one. And the reason they're doing so is the Ryan Hall fight. Because he thought, hey, here's Ryan Hall, who's this like jujitsu savant. And Tapuria completely neutralized all of Hall's attacks, finished him in the first round. And people are thinking, hey, if he's able to do that to Ryan Hall, who's arguably a better grappler than Bryce Mitchell, he'll steamroll through him. It's not as
1: mm-hmm.
0: cut and dry as people are painting it
1: out to be, though. I, I agree. I, I think the stylings are way different. Ryan Hall, whenever he is on defeat, He's just throwing long, lanky kicks on the outside. He's circling and looking for that right moment to dive on a leg. Uh, whereas Bryce Mitchell, he's going to run at you at full speed, uh, just meet you. And Tapuria is going to run, or it doesn't isn't run at you, but they, he'll move at you. So I think these guys are going to meet in the middle, which is a completely different setup than Tapuria just stalking and looking for the best way of dealing with Ryan Hall. It's a much different clash in the middle, for sure. Just in, you know basic stylings alone.
0: Yeah, I, I can see Bryce being very pressure-heavy, uh, which I think mm-hmm. is going to be very interesting to see. Uh, 100% takedown defense from Ilya Toporia. So that's going to be very interesting to see if he's able to hold that up. Because what I'm a little bit concerned about when it comes to Bryce Mitchell, and it goes back to what we saw when he fought Brad Cotone and on Toth, because that was a fight he ended up losing. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason he lost it was that he tried to go very pressure heavy and the body shots started coming in from Brad Katona, started wearing him down a little bit and eventually the third round submission. Is Bryce Mitchell going to be able to have that same resolve if he starts taking some of those big body shots that Ilya Tapuria is more than capable of doing? Because that was the way he beat Damon Jackson.
1: I think Tepuria is going to beat him up like that, personally. I uh, Spoilers, I am picking him to win, but I, I think Tapuria not only is probably just as powerful as anyone, like in terms of just pure power uh, and the punches, Tupri is probably as powerful as Barboza and and anyone else he's fought in. And he's probably now, at this point in the game, uh, faster than anyone uh, Bryce Mitchell has fought. And I think that is just a big recipe for disaster. We've seen that he does love the body shots. It was a a body shot setup then going high that he knocked out um, Jai Herbert with. So... I, I think there's a lot of signs in that striking and uh, and we, you know, how great his wrestling is that this could, that is definitely something that I think we could see against Price Mitchell.
0: And I know people are trying to frame this as sort of striker versus grappler. Ilya Toporia started his career with seven straight submissions. He is capable on the ground.
1: Yeah, I, I heard he was a grappler. I, I started looking into him uh, a little bit before the Hall fight. And then I was like, and everyone told me he was a grappler. And that's what he was known for. Then I saw the Damon Jackson fight, and then the Ryan Hall fight, and I went, what are you guys talking about? And then now I go, oh, no, he can just do anything. Uh. I mean, I'm, I'm very high on Tepuria personally.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to make the assumption that you're picking him to win this one.
1: Yeah, I have him winning by uh, a third-round stoppage. I think Bryce Mitchell is very tough, um, but I I think eventually it's going to wear him out.
0: I'm gonna say the same. I'm gonna pick uh, Tapuria to win this one. Um, whether it's the third round or late in the second, I'm gonna go late in the second. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also a very, very viable one.
0: And it would be interesting to see whomever wins this fight, who the who the winner gets paired up with next. Bearing in mind, obviously, Volkanovski steamrolling through so many contenders at Featherweight. Do you want to? put him against somebody who could potentially derail a future title challenger further down the road. So it's going to be interesting to see what the sort of person that they give them. Maybe like a Calvin to someone of that ilk.
1: What about Giga? I just thought of that. I think, they, he I think they're quite high on like, Giga. He could definitely fight the winner.
0: I think they'll try and give Giga some kind of bounce back uh, fight.
1: That's very true, actually. Unless they're not confident in these guys. But we'll see. We will see.
0: And we're going to be very interested to see what happens in fight number two. Now, it's scheduled, and I want to stress scheduled, because we know this guy has a tendency to pull out of fights. People have been joking that it's going to be Kelvin Gastelum who'll be taking on Drikas Duplessis. But (laughs) Darren Till is scheduled to return at UFC 282, and he's going to be taking on Drikas Duplessis, the number 13 ranked middleweight. Betting odds for this one, interestingly, Tricus is the bookmaker's favourite. Minus 140. You can get Till at plus 120. Now, it's 15 months since Darren Till last fought. He had a defeat up against Derek Brunson. And there are a lot of people wondering where does Darren Till stand in his career at the moment. So, he's had three fights so far as a middleweight. He beat Calvin Gastelum on his middleweight debut. Since then, lost to Robert Whitaker, And then lost against Derek Brunson. The long injury layoff. He's changed training camps. He's fighting over in Sweden right now with All-Stars.
1: Where is this guy right now? If he were to retire right now, I think we would look at him as a potential, one of the bigger missed opportunities uh, in terms of skill set and athleticism for a guy to reach the ceiling that he hit. Um, That being said, he's still young. He can still turn this around for sure and uh, I think an in-shape, motivated, and healthy Till is a very scary fighter. Um, yeah, he lost to Robert Whitaker, but so does everybody ever, it feels like, so there's no shame in that. Um, and that fight was actually close. Very close. Uh, Robert Whitaker didn't just... Yeah, he Robert Whitaker didn't storm through him like he's done every other, you know, contender. Um, obviously, that could be a stylings kind of thing, but, um, you know, I, I, I think of what... Uh, Whitaker said about Till is the level of like technical striking that he's at and how many feints he throws and then how he kind of tricks you into doing what Till wants you to do. Uh, I think that's very scary, the fact that a, a seasoned veteran and striker like a Robert Whitaker is saying about a guy like Till. So, I, I just think he has a hard time staying motivated. I think he likes to party a lot. Mm. And uh, obviously he's had a lot of health issues with his, uh, with injuries and stuff, so I, I don't know. Because I was rough. doing some
0: research uh, for the preview show, and I went back and rewatched the uh, Derek Brunson fight. Now, admittedly, mm. I have a little bit of a gut on me, so I shouldn't be criticizing people for being out of shape, but I saw how shredded this guy was as a welterweight, and then you see him compared as middleweight. Just a little bit of a paw- punch on him. I thought maybe his conditioning could have been a little bit better going into that, and I share your same sentiment. Maybe the focus wasn't there. Hopefully, going to All Star, mm. it maybe is now.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, also, I, I wonder what there is to do at All Stars besides train and try and tune out Hamzat talking about smashing. So, like, there, you know, you got to probably train. I think that's probably a better option than having to hear that guy just talk about smashing people. So, uh, <laughs> um, I'm ho- I'm hoping this. I, I'm I'm admittingly a Darren Till fan. Uh, I picked him to win against Tyron Woodley years ago, and uh, you know, um, and I. But I'm still a fan of his. Uh, I think his, I think he's very charismatic, and I think he's very fun. Has a very, very good story, uh, you know, as a fighter and a person. Um, so I, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I really hope this camp change lets us see, like, can we break that ceiling that he's kind of put himself, that he's kind of put there himself. I'm uh, very curious and hopeful.
0: Because we do need to remember that Darren Till at one point was worthy of a lot of the hype. I mean, this guy at one point was, what, 17 and all Going into the Tyron yeah. Woodley fight, he had a lot of fanfare behind him. What do you think in terms of what he did in Cage were the big things that stood out for Darren Till? Why were people so high on him before the Tyron fight?
1: I-, I think one th- one theory I have is why people really... in we're high on him is he reminds everybody of a certain Irish striker and uh, you know, kind of hands low, kind of karate styling. So he'll have his hands low. Uh, And then his big best weapon is the left straight counter strike uh, as a southpaw. So I think people saw that comparison and that's a really easy kind of, you know, connection to make. And that, that does excite people. People like counter strikers, people like one shot bang kind of fighters. Um, But, the thing that was difference between them is he had a very you know he was a counter striker but his muay thai uh, was very impressive very technical and you know so his you know him coming at you and throwing standing elbows uh, as you, to counter you as you step in on him I think that was very impressive and just um an obviously uh Nicholas Dalby fight I think showing the toughness of surviving despite tearing your shoulder out of place and continuing through the round. Uh, I think that won him a ton of fans, um, and then of course the Cowboy fight. You know, and that's when everyone kind of took real big notices when he smoked Cowboy in a round yeah. years back.
0: Just going back, the Irish fighter that was uh, Carl Pendred, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it was, yep, it was Carl Pendred, Big <laughs> fan of his, uh, welterweight <laughs> <Wade> guy. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, oh, I forget his name. Um, he, the the flyweight that the, uh, the Flyweight, not Neil Siri. Paddy Hulahan. Uh, yes, I I was like I want to say Paddy, but I know I feel like I'm just like thinking of that because of him. Yeah, Paddy Hulahan. Yeah. yeah, it was him. You caught, you guys got me.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about his opponent though, because this is a two 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 way story, as it were. Drinker Stuplacy, seventeen and two, coming off a win over Brad Tavares. Tavares is sort of been known as sort of like the middleweight gatekeeper. You sort of beat him. You move on to the next level of middleweight contenders and mm. we often talk about boys on this show those sort of fighters who are a little bit cringy a little bit embarrassing to admit you like but you're deep down you root for him i think drickus would have to be up
1: there i love this guy i think if he wins this he's gonna he's gonna start breaking out of that boy stable but uh i definitely get yeah he's he's uh like magnetic to watch for some reason so I definitely get it, and I I do like him too. I hate that I have two fighters I like fighting each other, but s- such is the game. Um, yeah, he's definitely pretty much right now. He's definitely boy material because you you gotta you gotta defend the striking, you gotta defend that like you know, uh, and that's part of having a boy. You have to be able to defend him. I think it's
0: it's what I'm fascinated by with him is the discrepancy between how good his kicking game is. Like, he fires off a lot of low kicks. He'll go to the body a couple of times. Carries a lot of power. And yet, when it comes to striking, actually punching people, and he's wading forward, He go, he. you know those sort of inflatable tube men that you find outside of, like, yeah. car showrooms,
1: that sort of thing? That's how yeah. he strikes. He's a bailey buddy. Yeah, he's, like... It, it's... If anyone hasn't seen it, by the way, look it up. Trust me. Like, it's... It is a uh, very alarming the first time I saw it because I first saw him fight in KSW uh, and I was like, "What? That?" And then he won. He beat one of my favorites and guys I'm very high on in Roberto Soldic, and I was like, "Oh, oh, he knocked out Soldic with the with the hands." The only but,
0: man to ever knock out Soldic.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, it was, you know, he caught him. He, you know, clipped him good and uh with those punches like that we're making fun of so clearly they work for him uh they're just a little awkward to watch and kind of humorous um but then again i wouldn't want him hitting me with those so
0: no it's (laughs) it's effective that's the thing it's sloppy it doesn't look um it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing but it's effective
1: yeah it's not a pageant it's a fight
0: exactly And when it comes to Drickus as well, apart from the Sol Dick win, which I'd argue is the biggest one he's had, Marcus Perez, pretty <laughs> solid name there. Trevon Giles, who I'm personally very high on. And then, of course, Brad Tavares. Mm. Some some pretty solid names there. Definitely carrying a lot more momentum than Till is. Uh, Five-fight winning streak, 3-0 in the UFC. Um, what was interesting to find out, though, is... Seven KOs, nine submissions. So... If Till has been learning how to wrestle up at All Stars, it's going to be tested against Drickers, because he's a capable
1: oh. grappler. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's uh, he's been getting his uh, his knockout wins, but um, I've I've always heard that his grappling is where he's a little bit better at than striking. Like he's he's well rounded, of course, but you do no one's a hundred percent fifty fifty, you know. Uh, so it's from I've always heard his grappling is where he has the edge in.
0: Yeah. I would say he... If if we say like with Bryce Mitchell, he's more sort of like a technique-orientated fighter when it comes to his grappling. I think Drickus is the opposite. Drickus is somebody who relies a lot on his power. So if you mm. look at a lot of his submissions, very power-based stuff, it's Kimura's, it's stuff where you need a lot of torque and strength to actually put it all together. Um, like going back to his striking, I think one of the things I've noticed about Drickus, which would be interesting to see given tills likes to rely on pressure a lot is Mm. if you go back and you watch the trevin giles knockout the way he got that was inviting almost sort of pressing himself against the fence and trevin getting this sort of false sense of security and thinking aha i've got him now i can tee off and that's Mm. when he launches the counter shot and manages to knock him out so i would be interesting to see if we see a similar strategy where Darren Till tries to close the distance, come forward, and then comes to counter-strike. Similar to what happened against Tyron Woodley.
1: Yeah, because he, he stepped in without the setup and gets clobbered. Uh, I think that's actually a very actually a really good breakdown there. I think there's a very strong possibility of that as well.
0: Yeah. Um in terms of Darren Till as well, um, you mentioned like the big left hand. It has worked for Darren Till in the past. It is his most potent weapon one, does he need to sort of spread out his portfolio a little bit more try and develop more weapons outside of the big left hand, and two how effective is this one-note strategy at the higher weight class, because a lot of Darren Till's success, especially when it came to defence, was built around size, he was a good Muay Thai guy because he could smother people because he was so big, if someone tried to take him down, he was so big he could sprawl easy, a lot of the big weapons that Till had are no longer there as
1: a middleweight. Yeah, and that cut is just too much that he can't go back down, really. No. No. Um, I, I, a strike I would love to see him add to his arsenal is a lead leg snap kick up the middle to kind of help. He doesn't like to jab. He's not a very big jabber, um, which I, I like seeing a good jab, so that kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. But I think a, a lead leg snap kick or even a rear leg snap kick Uh, I think that's Conor McGregor's best strike, but, you know, and I'm a Conor hater. That's his best strike, I think. And I think he had a ton of success with that. Um, and I would love to see Till kind of take that, you know, idea and kind of run with it as well. I would, that's a weapon I would love to see him add. Um, I think we'll see him kick a lot more in this fight personally, if his knees are okay, if his knees are good, I think he's going to kick more because, um, you know, Homsad threw a good amount of kicks in his last like fight, or, or not his last fight, because that was the Kevin Holland one, but in his Gilbert Burns fight. He threw a lot more kicks than I ex- uh, expected him to. So I wonder at All-Stars if they're really pushing, kicking, and uh, the striking as well.
0: You're going to have to put your money where your mouth is.
1: Who are you picking to win this one? Uh, I'm going to have the impression that Darren Till is motivated. He is in shape, and he is healthy. And I think he actually wins by picking Duple- Duplessis on the feet. But that is three big if, what ifs. And I'm saying if that that is the case, and I'm going to assume they are, that is the case then I am picking Darren Till.
0: I think this is a winnable fight for Drickus, especially if he goes grappling heavy. because so I do think <clears> based on <throat> what I've seen, that could be a big weakness of Darren Till's even to this day. However, There's a lot of defensive frailties about Drikus and you can sort of get away with that at times fighting guys who are unranked. When you start reaching the top levels, you're going to get found out. And there's only so many times you can sort of barely buddy your way through unanimous decisions. So I'm with you. I I am going to pick Darren Till begrudgingly. I am not 100% confident on this one, but I can't see him getting a decision. I just think the defense of Drikus is just a bit too much of a concern for me.
1: I think another thing that's interesting to consider is, do you think it's an over or under 50% chance that Hamzat starts a fight in the crowd while he corners him? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt this time. Uh, he got in trouble last time, actually, so you got a point. He, uh, His uh, his daddy dictator got real mad at him, apparently. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I think you got a point there.
0: I'm surprised we're not seeing more MMA journalists calling out the UFC's links to Kudayev. I think it's very uh, questionable.
1: Uh, I saw a picture with of Sehudo Usman and Gechi shooting guns with him, and I just turned off Twitter for the day. Yeah, it's um,
0: it's concerning stuff. Concerning stuff. Mm-hmm. But
1: this isn't BBC
0: Parliament. Hopefully, maybe it could be one day. So if you're hiring <laughs> me, you know what? Contact me. We're going to be talking about our next fight on our card. And it's a welterweight veterans encounter. Robbie Lawler taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. So the betting odds for this one. You can get Ponzinibbio one of the biggest favourites on the entire card. Minus 380 up against Robbie Lawler who you can get a plus 310. Potentially, we've had a lot of retirements so far in 2022. A lot of people speculating this could be the last stand for the ruthless one.
1: I think it is. Uh, I wanted it to happen earlier this year, at least earlier, th- or at the latest earlier this year, with the Brian Barberina fight. But I think this is uh, one last go. Yeah. And what do you think
0: will Robbie Lawler's legacy be? Because I think mean, there's a lot of fans, and we, we sort, sort of said the same thing when it comes to Frankie Edgar. There's a lot of newer fans coming to the sport, seeing this old guy get knocked out countless times and thinking, Really? He was the best fighter in the world at one point. I sort of feel like those same fans feel the same way about Robbie Lawler. They don't realize the sort of... Firstly, how raw and how sort of hyped he was early in his run. You sort of touched on it when you did your retro review. Um, We will give a plug for that later on in the show. And then he had the struggles. He was out the UFC for a long time. And then came back with almost zero fanfare. And it just clawed Mm. and ground his way and ended up becoming champion, and doing so with some of the best fights of all time.
1: Oh yeah, he, he's got probably one of the best comeback stories of a career ever. You know, like, from struggling to beat guys uh, who never went on to do anything great, from in strike Strikeforce, uh, with like your biggest win in years is Matt Lindland, who's in his 40s, to showing up, taking out quickly and effectively taking out then big contender Josh Koscheck, and then putting on Incredible fight after incredible fight and incredible fight until he gets, his, gets the belt. And then he has incredible defense after incredible defense after incredible defense. It's, a, it's impressive.
0: I've got a list here of the notable names that Robbie Lawler's beaten in his career. Chris Lytle, Frank Trigg, Scott Smith, Melvin Manhoff. If you get the chance, watch that fight between him and Manhoff. It is incredible. Rob uh, Lindland, Koschek, Jake Ellenberger, Matt Brown, Johnny Hendricks, two wins over Rory McDonald, Carlos Condit, and then recently, of course, uh, Nick Diaz. Oh,
1: yeah. Got his revenge. Yep. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think people enjoy talking about how Nick looked in that fight.
1: He looked bad. He looked really bad. I I, thought I that fight was uncomfortable, personally. Uh. Lawler looked pretty good, but Nick Diaz was like, you know, punching like this. And then if if the, if the it's true about all his injured discs in his back, that makes perfect sense. It's really hard to kind of put anything on punches if you're straining your back with a very serious back injury at the, at the same time. Um, I don't remember if that was confirmed or not, that he did have those uh, several discs injured. Um, but I know that was a claim. Uh, but yeah, Nick didn't look great. Uh, and he was still giving Lawler some issues on the feet, and it it just made me go, oh man! I, I guess both of you guys are leaving, right? I love all of you, but I guess it's time to go. And then Lawler came back for Barbarina, and I had to get my heart broken again. Do you know what that fight
0: was for me? Diaz versus Lawler two. You know how people give Bellator a ton of grief for putting like these, like doing like oh. Rampage versus Vandalay four. That was yeah. the UFC's version of that.
1: It really is when you think about it. It's uh, to a T that you know um, these guys shouldn't have. Like that was the. It was definitely the UFC's way of like anything Bellator can do, we can do better, and then threw that on. Uh, and it was it was a five rounder too. For it was very odd. Yep.
0: That being said, I know there's a lot of concerns about Robbie Lawler. I think this is going to be his last fight. It should be his last fight because I think when you get to the age he is, you're taking serious Mm. risks for your long-term health by continuing to fight. Thankfully for him, though, he is going to be fighting another veteran, Santiago Ponzinibbio, 28-6 record. A couple of notable names on his resume as well. Neil Magny, Mike Perry, Gunny Nelson, Zach Cummings, Court McGee, and a very young Sean Strickland as well which I don't think a lot of people forget about, especially when Strickland was on the up as a middleweight. Um, now, at one point, Ponzinibbio had one of the longest winning streaks in the welterweight division. People were framing him as a dark horse, potentially fight for mm. the belt. He then has some injury problems, and when he comes back, he's gone one in three since. Although that one victory was a win over was Miguel great. Baeza, which is up there as one of the best fights of the year.
1: That fight is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I love Nivio. I'm a big Nivio fan. He's in my boy stable officially. Uh, sadly, he, was, he wasn't he was allowed to be in it because he was, like you said, he was like a dark horse in the division. I thought he was the secret guy that would, could have given Tyrone Woodley a lot of trouble back then. That's how long ago it was. Um, and uh, then all the injuries. He comes back. I'm super pumped. The leech knocks him out and around, and, uh, and it just hasn't been the same. He's, like, been a little slower uh, to his step, uh, definitely, potentially because of the injuries and all the time off, um, and he's still trying – he's either – it's a kind of that case of, like, where you're an aging vet. You're aging. You're becoming this aging vet, and uh, at the same time, you're still trying to kind of get back to form because you had so much time taken off your career. Um, but he's definitely a boy of mine. Uh, I I I think he's a, a fantastically fun fighter to watch.
0: You can still have him in your boy stable, you know. Like, hey, if I've okay. got if I've got Raquel Pennington in mine, and she's like number four as a bantamweight, you can very easily have Ponzi.
1: It's very true. because well, I, 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 I I remember uh, I funny enough, um, it was the Ryan LaFleur fight that I think he made his like debut on. That I went like, man, he like it was actually a lot of fun. I'm gonna keep watching him. And then he just turned into, he's probably like one of my, you know, my proto boys before I called him Boy Stable.
0: Um, let's talk about some of the technicalities when it comes to both fighters. So we'll start off with Ponce Nibio since we're sort of discussing him in a lot more detail. You sort of mentioned before with sort of veteran fighters and on the decline. I think that what a lot of aging fighters fail to do is they try fighting the same way they did in their prime, when they don't have the reflexes or the strength or the power that they may be used to, and they don't adapt. Like, Mm. part of the reason Glover was able to have the second wind in his career was because he switched from going from this big knockout artist to becoming a grappler. Ponzinibbio is still trying to fight the same way he did before the injury. And... When you look at what a, lot, uh, a lot of what Ponzinibbio did very well, so a good pressure fighter, but there wasn't that much variety to his striking. It was the same mm-hmm. weapon, so it was like overhand right, left hook, and a few kicks down the middle. And if you have someone mm-hmm. like you saw with Lorenz Larkin, who figured him out pretty comfortably and ended up finishing him, does Robert oh, yeah. have the street smarts to do that? Yes. Does he have the potency to do it? That's the big question, but I hope for Nebio's sake he is able to develop a bit more weapons to his arsenal.
1: He started, he started bringing back the low kicks for a while, and uh, I was really excited about that. Um, it was uh, his last fight, if i remember right. Was um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, and I love this guy. Um, Whoever, yes, Michelle Pajeda. Yeah. Oh God. That I was hoping he would kick the legs more in that fight because him and uh, you know Carmel Thunder were kicking each other's legs and just it looked like they were both going to need walkers and for the rest of their life after what their – built their legs went through, um, and uh, so he's bringing. I, I would like to see him bring the low kicks back, because um, he used to he used to throw them a little bit back before his injuries, but I thought it was something cool that he was re adding to his game. Um, uh, it, I just wonder, though, like like you, like you said, can Lawler capitalize on, uh, you know, once he figures him out, is he going to be able to, like, actually do something about it? Um, I don't know. And the big thing as well with bringing back the kicks,
0: if you go back and you watch a lot of Robbie Lawler's career, he's always had issue with kickers. Like We mentioned the manhole Uh-oh. fight beforehand. Yes, he ended up winning that fight. How much damage did Robbie Lawler take from Melvin Monhock's kicks? Uh,
1: I remember he got kicked in the leg once and his leg went off the ground so hard he could have kneed himself in the head. It was astonishing. Like, and it was gross. Like, in the in a fun way, because I don't know, maybe, I'm, I like violence. Uh, it was getting, it was, I, you know, uh, it was getting kind of gross and, uh, like, his leg just flopping off. I thought it was going to disconnect at one point. And then, of course, he lands the big, you know, comeback shot. Um, but, you know, I thought, like, Carlos Condon gave him trouble with his long, lanky kicks. And in the first fight with Hendricks, Hendricks was tearing up that uh, that lead leg. They're both southpaws, so it's a closed guard fight. And he was tearing him up with outside low kicks. So, yeah, it's good good analysis.
0: And the other big weakness as well with Robbie Lawler is pressure. like Robbie works okay. very well when he has the space to think and to set up his shots, but if you don't give him that space, he is vulnerable. And we saw that with Colby, who used a very sort of pressure wrestling-heavy game, and I think Colby threw something like 600 strikes something in that fight. He was just on yeah. it all the time. And even mm-hmm. more recently, I'd argue that's Barbarina. where he lost to Brian Barberena. Robbie Lawler started that yeah. fight very well. But oh, yeah. Brian Barbarina, a lot of pressure, just on the go all the time, and eventually he just wilted.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a, he breaks people, Barbarina does. You know, just nonstop, go, 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 go. Um, Lawler definitely wants to lead the dance. You know, whenever he's not leading the dance, he seems like he's always in trouble, or, like, he doesn't like being on his back foot. He wants to be the one on the front foot. And... Uh, which is interesting because Ponzanibio is very good at taking the front foot. Almost to a fault, you know.
0: So, which way are you going with this one then? You are the James Cross pa- in this
1: situation. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> well, you know, uh, Miss Sanko is, you know, if that rumor is true. Anyway, anyways, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Ponzanibio here. Uh, and uh, I think I'm going to go with Ponzanibio here. Because um, I I think I think it's time for Lawler, you know. I, I think it's you know sadly just time to call it, you know. And uh, I think he can give a lot to the the next generation for sure. Um, I have him in my top five, maybe top three welterweights ever, personally. Um, but I, I think he's lost way more of a step than Ponzinibbio has. I think Ponzinibbio still has the ability to be a top 12 to 15 ranked guy at Walter Waite personally.
0: Cause you've got to bear in mind as well, the people that Ponte Nibio has lost to, they're not bad fighters. The Leach, very capable. Jeff Neal, very capable. Pereira just broke mm. into the top 15.
1: Oh yeah. So three guys that are top 15, if not fringe top 10 right now with potential to be even higher. And they're all looking great. They're all, like, Jeff Neal just beat Vicente Luque. Like, you know. I mean, who I'm very high on Luke. So And like I, it doesn't make his resume coming back that doesn't look awful because of that.
0: And I think I'm right in sin as well that the Neil Ponzi fight was pretty close as well, if
1: I remember correctly. Yeah, it was like one of one round apiece going into the third, if I remember correctly. I remember it being I remember I remember scoring it for Neil. Um but I saw people go, Oh Ponzi could have taken that and I'm like, Oh maybe. You know, it was it was pretty back and forth.
0: Yeah, I'm picking Ponzinibbio to win this one as well. I'm going to say a second round stoppage. And I think Robbie Lawler will hang it up. And I I suspect that because you look at some of the fights on this card, you look at some of the fights on the prelims, there's some very good fights which were all worthy of being on the main card. I think Robbie Lawler has maybe told them, hey, I'm going to call it the day after this. So the idea of him saying his goodbyes, full attendance, putting down the gloves in the middle of the octagon on a pay-per-view main card it's sort of it reminds me of when they put cowboy vs jim miller
1: yes yeah so yeah i think robbie's gonna it's, call it a day i think it's gonna be a sad day robbie lawler is like uh you know he feels like to me i always kind of refer to him as uh, the mf doom of of mma mf doom used to say people used to say that he was your favorite rapper's favorite rapper robbie lawler feels like your favorite fighter's favorite fighter to me, I feel like every fighter ever names him as, uh, like, at least in their top five, if not top three, ever.
0: So many retirements this year. It's um, It just shows the sport's changing a lot. Like, think about how many big names we've had this year. Like, we've had Cowboy, Ioana, Jose Aldo, um, Melvin Manhoff retired as well. We've had so many mm-hmm. big legends of the sport all it a day. This, the sport's Frankie. changing.
1: Frankie, yeah. Yeah. It's like the last remnants of uh my like of my like my high school to early college like addiction and uh burgeoning obsession with the sport uh has uh it's just all kind of fading away, you know. The, the guys, guy's Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I mean, like I said it in the in the retro review, you know. Like I think it's time we have to hang up the frosted tips and the the tight the, the baggy jeans with holes in them, you know. It's retired. Stim has to go next. You're honestly, you're right. Stim, face the pain has to be retired now.
0: <laughs> I never liked that song to be honest.
1: It's terrible. <laughs> it's it's endearing to me though. Like it's like ah, oh, I I hate this song, but all right, you know, it's I it's been around for so long.
0: Yeah, it, it's like a Christmas song. You know they now yeah. You know it's a bit rubbish, but it's just part of the <laughs> of the tradition.
1: It's the equivalent of the Mariah Carey song we have to hear a thousand times a year in Christmas. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> um, a song that we'll probably be hearing uh, when it comes to UFC two eighty two will be happening on the uh core main event, and that will be Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes because they'll be cheering on Paddy Pimblett as he makes his American debut up against Jared Gordon. Now, Pimblett is a minus 190 favorite for this one. You can get Jared Gordon in at plus 160. So as mentioned before, big British star finally making his debut overseas. Will this be Prince Nassim Hamed against Kevin Kelly or Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz?
1: It's very good reference. I do like me some Prince Nassim. Or, uh... I, uh... I don't know actually on this one. I I feel like this is another safe matchmaking, but I also think there is a, there's a potential upset. I was really wrong last time. I said I thought Leave it could do it. Uh, but you know, I was honestly I rewatched the Jordan the Jared Gordon Leonardo Santos fight, so I think there's somewhere in the middle potentially. Uh this one's a I think this one's actually a really awkward one to call. Yeah. Um, I'm leaning
0: more towards Paddy than I am uh, towards Jared Gordon. I will be picking Paddy to win this one. I'll obviously give some of the reasons why. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the big criticisms that people have had in regards to Paddy it's and you sort of brought this up when you covered Connor on, uh, I think it was Mm -hmm. the 189 retro review. You brought up, hey, Mm -hmm. Connor always ducks all these wrestlers. He's not confident that he can Mm -hmm. handle himself on the ground. We're seeing a similar situation the opposite way when it comes to Paddy, whereby they're not putting him up against strikers because they fear some guy's going to exploit his defense and take his head off. And if you look oh, yeah. at the people he's beaten in the UFC so far, uh, Rodrigo Fargas, Jordan Levitt, Luigi Vendramini, all guys predominantly with grappling-based backgrounds.
1: Mm. And uh, none of them with that one-shot power, No, you know, like so it's definite they they're definitely giving him very favorable matchmaking and uh which cuz you know he's talking he he's talking a, bit, a lot they uh he's constantly spouting off something constantly you know talking about how he's the greatest ever like already or like you know stuff like that just hyping himself up which is good self promotion you know um but at the same time it's kind of it's kind of awkward whenever you know you're, you're obviously being protected in matchmaking, I think. Yeah.
0: I, I will say, when it comes to Paddy Pimblett, obviously you mentioned that a big part of the reason why this fight is the core main is because of the job that Paddy has done to try and promote himself. He has a massive fan base, both in the UK, and it's starting to spread worldwide. And that was even there mm. when he was fighting the Cage Warriors. Like, I knew yeah. people who would never watch a Cage Warriors show in their life, but they did sort to see Paddy. And... Yes, he is talking a big fight, but I think the big difference and the reason why he's resonating with people in the way that others may not do, he is charming with it. You might not like what yeah. he says, but he, he does come across he's got a charisma about him. And that's something that not a lot of other sort of big trash talkers have.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I don't like, I'm not a patty guy. I, I'm not a fan uh, I'm not going to be rooting for him probably anytime soon, but he's one of those guys that I feel like if I met in like real life, yes, you know, I, I would be like, I'd be like, this guy's great. What? Like, I, I feel like I would be embarrassed at how much of a Patty hater I am if I actually met the guy. Cause he does seem like, but he's not, you know, he's very confident when he, when he isn't talking like mm-hmm. that, he seems like a down to earth, very relaxed, very chill, charismatic guy. And obviously his post fight speech, A while ago, where he was talking about how you know some social issues, uh, you know, it kind of won me over a little bit. I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's a great message to have. I think
0: he reminds me, uh, he reminds me a little bit of Ricky Hatton.
1: Yeah. Oh, I like Ricky Hatton. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I was a Ricky Hatton guy. Uh, Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a pretty good comparison. Um, it's definitely. Now I have the Ricky Hatton Pacquiao build up in my head. No, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, I know. that that fight didn't but, um, go well. Uh, it went well for me uh, because uh, I I called it. I think that was like one of the first like early times where I was like, oh, I'm gonna you know pick this. But uh, and I like both. It was another one of those cases where you like both guys. But yeah, I, I mean he's a big he's a big trash talker. Or something I'm not really a personal fan of. But you're right. He's got. He's got this charisma. He he knows what to say and how to say it. And whenever he's talking I'm a big game, but then when he's just talking like a normal person, he comes across very genuine. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. You
0: know. Let's talk a little bit about his opponent, though. Jared Gordon, 19 and five record. Uh, some notable wins uh, overall in his career: uh, Leonardo Santos, Joe Chris Fishgold, so he has fought one of Paddy's teammates before, so that might be something to bear in mind. Um, Hakran Diaz and also Bill Algio, he beat him on the regional scene. I do want to ask this question though. What is your favorite Jared Gordon
1: fight? I like the, uh, probably the Santos fight, because I watched it just recently. I feel like I'm cheating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating. But I remembered – I actually like the pressure he kind of put on a little bit in that fight. Um, I remember rooting for Santos. uh, But, you know, because I like Santos. But um, I thought he had like – he kind of did a decent job of like having a sloppy but very pressure-heavy kickboxing match with Santos because he knew not to go to the ground with him. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: I was interested in the Santos fight as well because Santos, of course – um is well known as being a fantastic jujitsu practitioner. And of course, Paddy likes to utilize his grappling a lot, likes to try and get into these sort of scrambling exchanges. And I was fascinated to see if how Jared Gordon neutralized that offense of Santos. And he was able to do so very well. I think his bodywork, especially very, very good. Um, and I think that could be something which Paddy needs to look out for.
1: That being said, though... Especially a guy who eats that, balloons up to that size, and has to cut all that weight to come down. Yes, definitely. That being said,
0: though, the big thing that stood out about Jared Gordon, though, he's never been a finisher. He's not a power puncher. Even though his striking, I felt, was pretty solid when he fought Santos, Mm. he doesn't have that sort of big knockout shot, which could arguably give Paddy a lot of problems. Because I don't think Paddy's striking defense is all that great, Benjamin, caused him a lot of problems very early on in his debut. Um, I think the thing with Paddy is, I think it's almost like we know the ride is going to end at some point. But we're going to enjoy it as long as we can. I know if you put that yeah. guy against anyone, any sort of competent striker in the top 10, he's going to get found out. But against someone like mm. Jared Gordon, it's a winnable fight for Paddy. Especially if he can get it sure. to the ground, and he is capable of
1: doing that. Oh yeah, there's a there's a reason they never, they you know it was a there was a reason they never set up the Tapuria fight, you know uh, the both those guys were barking at each other, and they both wanted it, or at least they both claimed they wanted it. The UFC was never going to do that. They're going to enjoy the ride while they have it. Uh, Tapuria, I think, is the worst matchup Patty could ask for. The guy who's going to stop all his takedowns and land big power p- punches and combinations—it's not. It's not. They don't want to see that. Uh, Gordon, uh, even though, like, like you said, his striking was I thought impressive and uh, very capable striker. It doesn't feel like it's. This is a dangerous fight for Patty because the power isn't there for sure. It, that's why I still feel like this is a potentially super safe matchmaking again.
0: We talked a little bit about some of Paddy's weaknesses when it comes to the striking. What is he doing right on the ground? What makes him so dangerous once he gets to fight to the mat?
1: He's really crafty. Uh, if he gets put on his back, he he he's a very firm believer of the three S's. Stand up, submit him, or sweep. And he's very aggressive with his sweeps. Um you know, I mean, I know like the joke is, you know, with Connor, no ground game and all that, which I kind of agree with. Uh, At least on some level. Um, It's funny because like Patty's like the exact opposite. You know, Patty reminds me more of Connor's teammate Gunny Nelson. Uh, Not the same caliber of grappler, but very, you know, kind of similar in that stance where it's like, oh, Patty can strike. That's where his big weakness is, though. Um, But on the ground, he's like a maestro down there. Um, Very crafty, very sneaky. Uh, I think Vargas, if I remember correctly, was on top of him. And he quickly just reversed it and, you know, took it over. And with leave it, he was stuffing the takedowns and reversing the takedowns. Um, very, very, very sneaky. You know, uh, one grappling exchange with him, even if you get in a dominant position, uh, like a half guard or guard, uh, he's very li- likely to you know sweep you. And then now you're on your back and panicking. Yeah.
0: And I have to say as well, like I, I have more time for Jordan Levitt than some other people do. I do hold his wrestling in mm-hmm. very high regard. And I'll say that mm. had he managing to beat him in Levitt's domain is something I did think. You know what? Hold my hands up. That was very impressive.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I uh, I was a big monkey. I was a uh, pretty high on the Monkey King, and then um, as like his nickname is, uh, and then ah, you know, he took care of him pretty easily. Made me look real dumb for picking Levitt. <laughs>
0: That being said, though, the idea of Levitt as sort of stunned, silent auto-arena as Levitt starts working in the middle of the octagon, that would have been an amazing sight.
1: Oh my, I, I would have just the, him and his uh, his coaches doing the dirty dancing routine. <laughs> like, could you just imagine like Patty tapped, like Patty didn't tap, he went out, you know, he refused to tap, and then they're like dirty dancing as the crowd is going ballistic and just like, I think that would have been, uh, I probably would have put that as my moment of the year, just the sheer out of context hilarity that that is.
0: So bookmakers are favoring Paddy. The people online are favoring Paddy.
1: Are you favoring Paddy? Yeah. I don't want to look stupid again. Uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, right. I, I think this fight's actually really close. Uh, you know, I'm a man. Of, I have a strong resolve. I, I almost, I have all my notes here. I even said, hopefully Carl doesn't make you pick. Uh, but no, I'm gonna go in. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and pick. I lean very slightly towards Patty. Um, if I pick this fight a hundred times, I'm probably picking Patty 52 times. But for that 48, I kind of think Jared can just avoid the grappling. I something tells me that, you know, he can just negate that aspect and maybe. He's able to put that pressure on and wear out with body work and wear out Patty who uh, all no, all joking aside. Uh, I, uh, he does have a I, I'm saying this is a guy who's very paunchy and heavy currently uh, for a guy who's five six. Um, but Patty does have an eating issue after fights where he balloons up and then cuts all that weight that isn't healthy and the body work of Jared Gordon could do him some wonders.
0: Especially when we've seen in the past that he does look very tired later on in the fight. That's how he lost to Southern Bark.
1: Oh, yeah. I was in Cage Warriors he lost that. I remember seeing that. Like, was that his last loss, right? Uh, yes, it was, I think.
0: Yeah, Cameron Els yeah. was his first one, and then there was another one just before that. And then the uh, Southern Bark fight.
1: Yeah. Because yeah, I remember hearing that, like, he... Uh, or, yeah, I remember seeing it. He ended up gassing out against him. But... Uh, I mean, I, I, like I said, though, I'm, I'm leaning towards Patty. Like, 52 out of 100 times, I'm, I'm picking Patty for sure here.
0: Main event time, and we are going up to the light heavyweight division. So, it is Jan Blachowicz, the number two seed, who will be taking on the number three seed, Magomed Ankalaev. Now, this fight was supposed to be part of UFC 282. It was going to be a three-round fight between the two, potentially to decide the next title challenger to the winner of Glover Tashira versus Yuri Pohavskar. We got the news a few weeks ago, Yuri Pohowska did some damage to his shoulder. He chose to vacate the belt rather than the UFC create an interim. Glover Tashira was offered the opportunity to face Magomed and in the main event. But Glover, with the speculation being that the title fight was going to be his last, decided I want more time to prepare for whoever the winner is. And then I will obviously come back to questions. So the Horvitz versus Ankoliath becomes a five-round fight for the vacant title. So a lot to dissect there. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, did Yiri make the right call by vacating the belt rather than the UFC creating an interim? And two, has Glover done the right thing by turning down the Ankalaev fight?
1: Yes. Uh, on the first one, I am a very firm believer, despite it being kind of a meme thanks to... Uh, I think it was Nick saying it. Uh, I'm a very big believer of defender vacate. If you're injured and you can't, you know, defend your title or you refuse to, let's not waste time in a division. Conor McGregor ruined the lightweight division for about a year and a half uh, because he was busy fighting Floyd Mayweather. We didn't have a a champion for a while. We had interim champions, which was weird. Didn't really work, I thought. Um, So I'm a very firm believer of... Uh, And I think it's very admirable that he recognized the severity of his shoulder and goes, I'm not doing this to this division. This isn't fair. I'm going to just vacate it. I I think that is uh, a very admirable quality of Jiri. The Glover thing, I think he did make the right call. I think on some level, you know, you have to realize you're fighting for yourself. You're not fighting for the – or fighting for you, not the UFC. I know the UFC would have wanted them to do uh, him and Ankulaev – here, but that's if that isn't fair. If he doesn't feel comfortable fighting that, he shouldn't have to fight it. You know, Um, they sign his checks and all that, but at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of critique about post. He's a he's an aging veteran with that could call it a career any day now. Sadly, um, we we don't know how their care is post retirement, and so you kind of on some level have to look out for yourself. And so I that's I another. The decision by Glover that I very much respect.
0: So it's put us into this fascinating situation where I think a lot of people didn't think that Jan Blachowicz would get another opportunity to fight for the belt. Yet here he is, one fight away from regaining a belt, which obviously the pandemic was a difficult time for a lot of people. Uh, and especially in the world of mixed martial arts obviously we couldn't do any fights in front of crowds we had the whole fight island thing most of the events were taking place in the Apex if there was one feel good story that came out of that either though, it was Jan Blachowicz going from light heavyweight journeyman who lost to Patrick Cummins I think a USC 210 I think, and then going on and becoming uh, the baddest 205 on the planet
1: it was awesome uh like, every time he won, like, immediately after, I'm like, wow, I can't believe he won that. Like, every time, and then I realized, like, oh, I, I said that all the way until he became champion. You know, what a feel-good story, and what a great... It, at least, I don't know him personally, I don't know his whole history, but he seems like one of the great good guys yes. of the sport. You know, uh, it was very hard to to decide who to root against when it was him and uh, Glover to, Sh- to Shara fighting last year. So, because both are great guys, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a Yon fan, honestly. Now, like ever since, like, because whenever he had started his run at, as champion, I was like, ah, I, I know I'm gonna look like a bandwagoner, but I think he's finally won me over, and yeah, I, I love the guy now.
0: And I will say as well, like, we obviously make predictions on this show we have done ever since we started this. I think one of the most proud predictions that I made was picking Jan Plachowicz to beat Dominic Reyes, second round KO.
1: Yeah, I remember you telling me about that one. I was like, that is a wild one. I never would have got that. Yep, yeah. uh Crazy one to land.
0: And some people like to frame the Jan Plachowicz turnaround to sort of being in the right place at the right time. Like John Jones had vacated the belt. But you look at the people that this guy has beaten throughout his uh, light heavyweight run. There are some top names here, so I'll go through them. Alexander Rakic, of course, that was a Dr. Stoppage, but he still managed to get the W next to his name. Israel Adesanya. He was winning too. Yep. Corby Anderson, Dominic Race, Jacare Souza, Luke Rockhold, which is one of the most brutal knockouts of all time. Nikita Krylov, who's on a fantastic run right now. Jimmy Manoa, Jarry Kananea, Ilya Latifi, and if we go back to KSW, even beat the uh, infamous Sokaju.
1: Eleven names on that on a pretty good, pretty darn good resume, honestly. Definitely. What,
0: in your opinion, was the big key in Jan Blachowicz's transformation? What turned him from this sort of middle of the road light heavyweight to the guy that a lot of people hold in high regard
1: now? Right here, I think. I think he. uh, I'm not going to question his mentality with fighting before, you know, uh, like. Whenever he was fighting his like early Latifis and stuff like that, um, I'm not questioning that. I, I just think that uh, you know he talked about this really traumatic experience he had and why he wears the wristband. I, if any, I'm not going to get into it. I don't want to. I don't want to do the story an injustice. But check it out if you ha- if uh, if anyone hasn't uh, of why he wears the wristband. I think something in that kind of made him, you know, something click in his mind of how he should approach the fight game. And everything, and I think from I think that's when he actually started his big run, was immediately after that had happened, and I think something mentally clicked with him there. I I think it's super unfair to say right place, right time. Like we're not talking, we're talking about Jan Belhovic. We're not talking about Dave Monet, you know, at middleweight years and years ago. Um, I think it was definitely a meritocracy, and he he was the guy. You know, it wasn't a right. if if John Jones would have showed up, he would have taken him out too. You know, <laughs> that's my opinion. Um, and I and I think something just clicked mentally for him, and it was just go 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 go. And uh, I think something must have happened last year, uh, because the Glover that fought, if anyone doesn't know, the Glover that fought Yon, or no, no, sorry, yeah, yeah the Glover, or the Yon that fought Glover, I should say, uh, looked like a completely different guy. Yeah, than that was what, not a good
0: performance.
1: performance it was shocking uh, to say the least.
0: I think the big things that stir for me when it comes to Yarn is I think his defense is incredibly tight. He's, he's not so much one of those fighters who beats you with his own strengths. What he does is he takes away his opponents. And I think the fight that really identified that for me was Israel Adesanya, like easy uses a very kick heavy game, tried to attack the lower legs and Yarn took that away from him. And once Izzy mm. became a lot more immobile, then he was able to utilize the wrestling, and that's how he managed to get himself the win. So he's very good at taking away overfighters' weapons. We even saw that to an extent where he fought Alexander Rakic. And I'm particularly fascinated by that because if there's one thing that stands out about Ankalaev, he has a very kick-heavy game too. So are we going to see mm-hmm. Lohovitz doing the same thing he did to Izzy and taking away those kicks?
1: It's very it's it's a very interesting, uh, like from a, another kick heavy opponent uh, as well, like you said. And I think I, I really like how you brought that up. You know, there's a there's a a term in like a lot of competitive games, and uh, like in some competitive sports, really, but mostly like in like certain games where it's sometimes you have to think not about how you win, but how to stop your opponent from winning. And I think yawn is a probably the best example of that in MMA. Uh, and how he takes away weapons actively. Um, I mean, I think this is actually a really good matchup. I was actually really excited for this fight as a co-main event. Um, so it should translate to me being excited for it as a main event, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, I think this is a really, really interesting matchup on paper. So let's
0: talk about Ankalaev then. Now, 17-1 record, the latest of the Dagestani version coming into the UFC. Uh, A lot of notable wins on this record and his rise up the rankings. So we had Anthony Smith in his most recent performance, Thiago Santos, Volkan Uzdemir, Nikita Krylov. Two wins over Eon Kutalaba, one of them being that sort of bizarre non-stoppage where Kutalaba was fainting and being rocked and ended up being stopped as a result of it. Um, I think the thing that people most think of when it comes to Ankelaev, though, it's not the people who he's beaten, it's the loss that last-minute hillary yeah. submission to Paul Craig. So I'm going to put this to you. What is the sort of bigger sort of asterisk that people bring up? Ankelia versus Craig or Stipe versus Struve?
1: I think Stipe versus Struve is uh, probably a bigger asterisk because he, he got eye-poked. still bring that really up to Yeah, he got eye-poked really bad. He- if we're gonna be honest, outside of the Nganu uh fight, I think I think that in the DC the first DC fight, the only reason he got knocked out is because he got poked in the eyes. Like really bad. Uh at one point there's a clip in the DC fight where he just like flicks his finger directly into his eye. It was he learned from John Jones, I you mean, know? he learned from the best, I suppose. Uh <laughs> picked up you, know, you pick things up in losses, you know? Um but yeah, I think the Ankalaev one with Paul Craig, now nah, Paul Craig caught him. That's a Paul Craig win. I don't think there's an asterisk there. I think he got him, you know. The fight isn't over until the final bell rings and he got caught. It happens. So let's talk about some of the strengths
0: that Ankalaev has, though. Um I think what's very interesting to me is compared to other sort of darkest tiny fighters which primarily rely on their wrestling. We've got a guy who is very prominent when it comes to the striking game. Very kick-heavy approach. Mm. Mainly likes to throw stuff to the body, but he can go high. We saw that when he fought uh, Um, And if fights do start to get a little bit wayward, he does maybe start to get a little bit panicked, then he can fall back on the grappling, as he has done mm. in his past couple of wins where he's become less striking-orientated and seems more content to sort of take a guy down and just grind them out for the decision.
1: Yeah, he went from being like this, like really cool, you know, Dagestani striker with a lot of power and uh, definitely very quick with a lot of fun techniques, and to like, yeah, just like kind of a grinder out of wins, you know. He he, it almost it's almost like uh, I think we called it in our last preview when we had to talk about him for the Anthony Smith fight. I think we taught brought up his uh, that he's almost afraid to lose now. Yes, you know, in a sense. Yeah, it, it's it definitely very noticeable. Um, I thought he didn't look bad. I thought he actually looked really well against Anthony Smith. But I thought he was cleaning him up. But uh, and it was an injury that got the win for uh, that caused the win. But he was like I said, you know, like with Jan, he was beating Rakich beforehand, and he was beating Anthony Smith beforehand. Um, and uh, but yeah, like you know, the the Thiago Santos performance was very pedestrian a big snooze fest yeah snoo. Uh, pedestrian's nicer uh, <laughs> um yeah it wasn't like the most entertaining and electric performance um you know and that's kind of a fear i have with this in terms of quality of fight
0: yeah because if there was one big sort of weakness i've seen with Jamla horvitz I think, actually, Yarn is a very underrated grappler. We saw him when he fought Nikita Krylov. Like, Krylov's a pretty good on the ground himself, and Yarn was able to neutralize him and end up getting the sub. But I did see a lot of weaknesses with Yarn when it came to him being taken down. And yes, I don't think he was himself when he fought Glover, but it was concerning the discrepancy on the ground between the two. And I think Uncle is going to try and neutralize that.
1: Well and that's how Patrick Cummings beat him back in the day. Yeah. I just not randomly thought of that. Like, yeah, uh, like Patrick Cummings took him down and was aggressive in the wrestling against it. Yan is very, very strong and very good at stopping the takedown. But if you do get him down, it seems like that's where his weak his big meekness is. Um, and that has to like I'm I'm with you there. That has to be the Ankalaev path to victory, I'd imagine.
0: Like, I just don't pitch Jan Blahovitz like throwing up his legs for a triangle or like trying to sort of like like push his opponent away to get back to his feet. I just don't think he's that kind of sort of even physically, you could see just a lot of upper body strength. I just don't think he has it in him to sort of get himself out of those positions.
1: You don't see him diving in Ryan Hall style, trying to get that leg lock like you did on BJ Penn. I'd love to see him try. (laughs) I would love to watch it. I I, I would That'd be my moment of the year in MMA. <laughs> it's, I, I always
0: love it on like those, just off off on a tangent. I always love it on those on like UFC, on like UFC four, for example, when they give fighters mm. moves which they never use <laughs> in real
1: life. <laughs> I never understand that. Uh, it's like a, I love the Benil Darius story. My boy Benny, uh, when it was, I think it was Scott Holtzman. he knocked out with a spinning back fist. The only reason he threw it is because his friend's son was like, yeah, you have a really really good spinning back fist in the game. You should throw it. And he goes, I've never thrown one in a fight before. Like, why do I have this in the game? I, sure. Like,
0: what's the point <laughs> of giving Carla Espaza a, a high kick, a spinning back kick?
1: I don't know. I, I saw a weird one the other day. Uh, I saw, I, I forgot who they gave it to. I think I saw so. I think someone must have done it somehow. I think it was, I think it was Patty. Someone gave him a tornado kick like Shogun used to throw in Pride, and I was like, "What is this?" Like, you know, I remember back in like UFC two, getting upset that like, you know, like what's up with them giving Connor like a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and superstar wrestling, like playing career mode as Connor's double legging me. It was so weird. The video games are weird when you really think about it.
0: Um. What would you say are Ankhalayev's biggest strengths?
1: Um, his most appealing strengths. I mean, his biggest strength is obviously, uh, I, I think his grappling and striking are very close. Like, I think he's a very good technical striker. Um, with, even with his slower pace of lately, I can't act like I'm not impressed by the fact that he is able to just kind of take over the striking, uh, you know, through counters and uh, distance management. Um, and so I feel like I feel like they're about equal. Hard uh, to hit. but I would probably give the yeah. He's really hard to hit. Uh, normally with these, like it's a stereotype, but normally with these like counter strikers, you know, it's like oh, they're really hard to hit. But if you touch them once, they're they're going out. If I remember right, Thiago Santos clobbered mm. him with like one of the few shots he landed, and he went oh, that kind of sucked. It was just like kind of relatively. Fun. He was a little hurt, obviously, like we would all be, but he recovered very well. So uh, we have seen his chin tested, at least. Um, you know, whenever he was, you know, that finishing knockout guy, uh, I was always impressed by how active of a kicker he was at 205. Um, and when, when you start getting at higher weight classes, you start seeing a lot less kicker, a lot, 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 lot less kicking guys. You know, that's what makes Cyril Gaon so impressive uh, and Krocot back in the day so impressive. Well, at the heavyweight level, being such active kickers, but uh, I thought Uncle I was a really, like, active one for sure. Um, and uh, obviously he's a Southpaw. So we will see the open – or the uh, – yeah, the open guard matchup here between these two. I mean, Jan will switch back and forth, but um... – oh, actually, just thought about something. Jan is very – does very well against Southpaws historically.
0: Huh. It's going to be really fascinating to see. And I'm also interested as well, like Jan Blachowicz 39 years old. So Father Time catches up to everyone. Jan Blachowicz has sort of starved it off for now. Is this maybe the fight where Jan finally looks old?
1: I hope not. Uh, But it it could happen, you know. Uh, The Rocky quote, Father Time's unbeaten, you know. Um, And then there's that, uh, you know, the wheels of time, uh are cruel, you know, quote from uh that Corey Graves stole from Ocarina of Time. But uh <laughs> um, you know, time's unbeaten. And uh, he could look slow. He could look older. Um crazy to think that like he's got as much mileage, you know, out of the game. You know, like if we talk about it like you know, what a what a career comeback he had as well. Uh but you know he hasn't looked too slow. He looked slow last year in the Glover to share a fight, but I, I there there had to have been an injury or something going on into that fight. That was just so uncharacteristic because in the Rackage fight, I thought he looked great. I yes. thought he looked really good in the Rackage fight. Yeah. Um, so final
0: prediction of the year, final prediction of 2022. Which way are you going for this one?
1: I'm going yawn. I, I have this feeling here, and uh, I try always being very technical and leave, like, emotions and everything out of this. But I have this kind of vibe and feeling that the power of Jan is going to be something different. Like, look at the side of Dominic Reyes whenever he was taking the lead left kicks of the body. I think, I think that played a big factor into the finish of that fight. Once he felt the power, he was like, ah, okay, I got to be a little more careful, and he kind of got frozen. It kind of got stuck frozen there. Um, And Dominic Reyes is a similar kind of counter-striker at that time to an Ankalayev. So if Ankalayev does want to play this out in the feet with distance control and counters, uh, I think Jan could definitely get this upset. And I do think he's almost... I, I definitely think he's the stronger physically guy to... Potentially overpower and defend himself against the grappling of Ankalyev. But if he gets put on his back, it's probably uh, a long night for him. And that's the way so I think we'll it's going to go.
0: I, I am picking Ankalyev to win this one. I think it's going to be a very wrestling-heavy fight. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 49-46. I think Yan could win one of the early rounds, but I think Ankalyev is going to, if he starts feeling the power of yarn, he's going to go straight in for the takedown. And if he does, I think Ankulayev's going to be very content to just sit in the guard and grind out for the decision. I don't think it's going to be... I hope I'm proven wrong. But mm. I don't think it's going to be all that exciting The fight.
1: I think this fight has... Uh, the first thing I put on my notes is, I think this fight... I, I don't think there's going to be much of an in-between. I think this fight is, is going to be a, a secret classic at the, in the light heavyweight division, potentially. I think this fight could be very, very good... Or it could be awful, and uh, I don't think there's any in between there. Yeah. Sadly.
0: I have to say, that's in terms of what my head is thinking. In terms of my heart, I am rooting for Jan to win this one. I'm in the same box as you. I think that Jan comes across like a really great dude, and I think his redemption storyline has been fantastic to follow. But also as well, I think part of the reason why Light Heavyweight has been so good recently is because it's been so unpredictable. Because you've been now that sort of the lid is off the tub, as it were. John Jones is gone, mm-hmm. and now the, the crabs are able to roam the floor, as it were. I mean, anyone in that sort of like top six or top ten can beat anyone in this weight class. I think it's been fantastic for that reason. And, of course, we had Glover versus Yeby, which was one of the best fights of the year. In my opinion, the best fight of the year. I would think to see yeah. all that momentum and all that potential come to an end if Ankulayev gets a belt. Because I think if Ayev does win, I can see him holding that for a long time. And I think when you've seen, like obviously Markachev's got the belt, very similar sort of fighter. You see a lot of the other Dagestani guys coming to the fore in places like Bellator, the PFL, etc. I would hate to have an MMA where every champion is from the same area, fights the same sort of wrestling heavy style, and isn't really the most exciting personality behind the scenes. Like, it's like anything. It's mm. like, if you have the world's nicest pizza for your dinner, that's great. But imagine having that pizza for every meal of every day for the next three months. You just need a little bit of variety, and I think Ankelaev winning the belt, it's, it's not a good omen. but that's my own personal opinion.
1: I, I think... Um... I understand a lot of that. I think it just kind of goes with phases in MMA. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of phases. Like, there was a, you know, was it, like, years ago, they talked about the European invasion, how every champion was going to be a European guy. And, um, you know, we got a couple. We had, like, you know, Connor was champ champ, then Bisping and stuff like that. Um, And, like, now we have, you know, the Polish invasion, you know, with, like, uh, Joanna and then Jan. Uh, So... Like, I think it just kind of goes through phases. Uh, I think eventually, uh, I'm not going to comment on Makachev because I'm still processing how he won uh, against uh, Charles Oliveira. It's a very stunning fight for me. And I mean, like, there was
0: once upon a time. I mean, these guys seem beatable. Yeah. I mean, there was once upon a time when, like, all the top champions were for Miletic and then all the Brazilians for Arsot Anderson's time.
1: Uh huh. It's like Machida, Anderson, uh, you know. Like Vitor. the guys, and then here comes Shogun. You have Vitor, um, T.R.T. Tor, that creation in the lab. Uh, I mean, that was that was that was the weirdest phase. There was no country. It was just the the genetics department for the Liver King, uh, where everybody was uh, was just super juiced. And you know, uh, Vitor Belfort was yelling about uh, Jesus while kicking an eye out of Bisping's head terrifying experience
0: i don't understand how the liver king became such a big like pop culture thing it's like can you remember that really bad self-defense coach and he was like the big flavor of the month and now it's liver king and like a couple of years ago it was the island boys like where did the where does the mma community get these guys from
1: i feel like we're just like a weird place for like the most random weirdos and we're just kind of like the catch-all for it like the the Dale Brown bad self-defense coach, he might be in Joaquin Buckley's corner at this event. Um, that's, that's a real thing because he was in one of his corners for a fight or so ago, and I think so he, he could won be here as Well, yeah, which was really impressive, uh, but it's because the guy didn't bring a gun to the fight like he should have. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like we, I I only knew who the Liver King was because I saw him. Like court, not courtside, cage side, for an MMA event, and I was like, "Yo, that dude's on some crazy steroids." And me and my roommate laughed about it. And then I didn't hear anything about him. I didn't know anything about him. And then it's like, "Did you guys hear the Liver Kings on steroids?" I'm like, "How is that surprising? That guy, that guy looks like he—if you painted him green, he'd be the Hulk. Like that—that that dude looks unnatural. <laughs> that was a monster. So, but we, we just—we just have the weirdest non-MMA." personalities in our MMA circle. I, I
0: We have been on a couple of tangents, um, I have to say, so I do apologize for that one, but we have finally got to the end of the UFC 282 preview show. It's been an absolute pleasure, Joe, once again for you to join us here. Before we leave, however, um, you are going to be back on the main channel. We've got another retro review coming up. I know these don't get many views, but... We thoroughly enjoy making them, we think it's something different for the channel and we appreciate the amount of people who come out all the time and support this sort of like side project. Now, Light Heavyweight title is going to be on the line. We thought we'd celebrate the career of one of Light Heavyweight's all-time great. So, this week's Retro Review will be a classic Chuck Liddell card. We put this to the public to see which one you wanted to see. We gave you four choices. Joe, which fight, And which event are you covering this week?
1: It's UFC 47. It's on back when we had the weird little subtitles for events. And it's the first ever Chuck Liddell-Tito Ortiz fight. I think a very
0: wise choice. I know it was very close between that and uh, UFC 79, which was the Vandellin-Silver fight. (laughs) It was
1: very... It was very razor thin, if I remember right. you said.
0: "Yep, Uh, I think the closest one we've done so far... And as well as that though, if you go to the main channel, we've opened the poll up for the January card which you're going to be doing. So, UFC 283 is going to be taking place in Rio. Who better to talk about than the King of Rio? So we have 4 classic Jose Aldo events for you to choose between. So we have WEC 47, Aldo first wins the featherweight title, he beats Mike Brown in the WEC. His first title defense in WEC, which came at 48, where he beat the legs of Uriah Faber. It's also WEC's only pay-per-view event, and I think did pretty good numbers as well. Oh, UFC, yeah. one, UFC 142. Aldo finally fights in Brazil for the first time in 10 years, taking on an unbeaten guy by the name of Chad Mendes. We also have the Edson Barbosa-Terry Etim knockout, uh, Rumble Johnson, and the infamous Miss. I think Mario Yamasaki may have caused a little bit of controversy on that card as well.
1: Oh, yeah, with some guy named Eric Silva.
0: (laughs) that strapping youngster. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And our final choice, UFC 179, once again in Rio, and once again a rematch between Jose Aldo and Chad Mendes, considered by many to be the best featherweight title fight in UFC history. So four great choices there.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I... I always have like like what I personally would want to call, but man, I there's a legitimate reason for me to vote for each and every one. I made my vote already, uh, and I won't say what I voted for. It. I don't want to influence anyone's minds, but uh, that's a really close one. <laughs> it's a really hard one for me to pick between.
0: So that's coming up in January. What may also come up in January, I'm going to put this to uh, Joe is we've got ourselves our first Patreon request. So somebody has given us the $10 donation and said, I really want you to cover this one. So there's a good chance the first video of 2023 on the main channel will be that Patreon request.
1: I have an update on that, actually. The script is done. I just have to shoot it. Ah, that's... Uh, I, I wrote the script um Wednesday, like, randomly during the day. I watched the whole card, and I was like, ah, okay, well, KO'd it, so I just have to shoot it whenever I get the chance to be free.
0: And on that bombshell, a great way to end the show. Joel, thank you very much for joining us. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. This has been the INC. Thank you very, very much for watching.